1: event podcast and now your hosts ben folks and chad dundas that's right you're listening to another episode of the Co Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dundas. That's Ben, folks. We're both longtime MMA journalists, and for nearly the last 10 years, we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action in the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Uh, ben, some breaking news as we begin to record this episode of the CME, and unfortunate. Breaking news at that, that the scheduled co-main event of Saturday night's UFC 272, the lightweight contender fight between Rafael Dos Anjos and Rafael Faziv is off. Uh, Rafael Fazeev has contracted COVID, I believe first reported by Ariel Helwani, got a text from his manager. Since then, Faziv himself has come out. With a couple of tweets, he writes, I'm devastated to announce that I'm out of the fight. I had a great camp and was ready to put on the show. I flew all the way to Vegas from Thailand just to get sick with COVID. For three days, I'm in hotel bed with fever, bones pain, and cough. I called out RDA and Mm -hmm. I still want that fight when my health allows me to compete again. Apologies to him, but saying that I was faking is complete nonsense. Time will put everything in place. Uh, So he's got the bones pain.
0: The bones pain's no good, man. We've all been there. We've all been sick and had the bones
1: pain. Don't want to have the bones pain. Probably not going to fight RDA when you got the bones pain. Uh, But the feeding feeding frenzy is now on to get uh, Rafael Dos Anjos an opponent for this Saturday's card. I just saw Hanato Moicano mentioned on the socials as a potential possibility here. Uh, You know, we talked last week over on the Patreon just kind of about how the late entry of Bobby Green... Against Islam Makhachev in the main of that in the main event of that fight night card, kind of added some spice in a way. Even though we really wanted to see the Benil Dariush fight, and we hope Dariush is able to recover from his broken leg and come back as quickly as possible, but it gave it you know it gave that fight night a little extra zing, a little extra late push of attention and media and all that other stuff. Uh, this one I kind of got the opposite vibe here. That UFC 272, which was already Jorge Masvidal and Colby Covington, and then some other stuff. Uh it it hurts. This hurts for this card, which already was not exactly star-studded to begin with.
0: Yeah. You know, I'm sure we'll end up talking about it a little more, but there's, it, it all comes crashing home for me when we'd get excited about this late change where it gives us a new narrative, some extra drama to talk about. Somebody like Bobby Green just sort of like, Airdropped into one of these fights that he otherwise wasn't supposed to be in, and at least something interesting. But then the fight itself is over in a couple minutes, pretty one-sided. And afterwards, the guy gets on the mic and he's like, "Eh, "Well, what do you expect? This is what happens when you don't have a chance to prepare." And then we go, "Oh yeah, no, that does that actually does make sense." That is, and now we feel kind of shitty about it because it does seem like we never should have really expected anything different. And then we're just going to turn right around next week, it seems, and do it all again. And I mean, I get it because it's like, what are we going to do? Everybody's trying to make the best of a bad situation. Uh, Javier Dos Anjos is saying like he feels like he's got kind of a short window that he needs to fight pretty soon, and he's done all this work. He doesn't want to just have the fight called off and not get paid for it. So he's kind of going to say yes to whoever you come up with. And there's going to be a bunch of people putting up their hands for one reason or another, and he's kind of got to go with whatever the UFC puts on the table at that point. And the rest of us has just got to be like, well, all right, fine, whatever, whatever you got at this point. But it's like a feeding frenzy is the right word because there's immediately a whole bunch of people who see an opportunity to jump up there, get a high profile fight, get that share of the spotlight, and then it's just a question of what they can do with it. Yeah. On that that short notice.
1: Yeah, and honestly, you got to feel bad for Dos Anjos. I've seen some some mentions on social media that his family is moving to Brazil. In a couple weeks. So this is basically his only chance to fight before summer. Uh, The last time he fought was November of 2020. I'm just going to go ahead and assume he needs the money. I would also make a, a, uh, you know, fairly confident wager that he was probably planning to have the money for this fight in and around that move, which seems Mm -hmm. like a big deal. And so all of that kind of personal level stuff has got a weigh a lot heavier on the mind of the fighter than maybe we, the fans, give it credit for. Uh, yeah. And he's coming into what was an important fight against Rafael vaziev man. Uh, RDA's two and four in his last six fights, his last three wins are against guys who are either... Uh, you know, getting toward the end of it or retired or no longer with the, with the company. He's, he lost to Michael Chiesa and Leon Edwards and two out of his last three beat Paul Felder in his most recent appearance. But Raphael Fiziev obviously is a streaking contender here. That's a big, kind of a big fight at lightweight for RDA. If he were able to, you know, win this thing or put on a good performance against Fiziev, he might, uh, you know, re reinvigorate his his standing a little bit in the division and now can you imagine if you spent this whole camp getting ready for Fazeev who's like one of the best technical strikers on the UFC's roster and then they might be like all right man here is Hanato Moikano, a guy who is like a different kind of striker and also has really good submissions so hey man hope Good luck with that on Saturday. Not only is the other guy going to be throwing it together, but if you're Dos Anjos, you're going to be shifting gears in the last few days, but while you're probably doing your weight cut and everything.
0: Yeah, and you'd also be dealing with a fight where the upside of winning it is not nearly so high, and uh, the the downside of losing it, arguably even higher. So uh, you're also, though, when you make the point that a lot of these fighters are calculating having this money for their future life plans, do you think, like, the movers... Heard this one where they heard Jafiel Fiziev's out of the fight, and uh, the or Javier dos Anjos might not get a fight, and they go, hmm, "Let me just put this box of like uh, creatine powders down, yeah, until you get your situation sorted and I make sure that uh, check gonna clear." Go ahead and, on this. Go logo. ahead and
1: take lunch, boys. Uh, uh,
0: you know what? I do have to uh, announce though. I will not be able to throw my hat in the ring to face Jafiel dos Anjos this Saturday um, because. I got the pile of trash neck acting up, Chad. Yeah, that's, that's... I don't know if you can tell. It's a bit of a bit of a struggle holding the head up.
1: Yeah, it's almost like... Also, I'm should...
0: a good 50 pounds overweight for this one, yeah. for the lightweight limit. You should
1: go ahead and uh, maybe get a stack of dictionaries to hold the chin up there as we do this. Maybe... There you go. Just gonna... There we go. Adopt the thinker. The thinker position. Mm-hmm.
0: It's very natural. That's the thing I like about this position.
1: Yeah, looking like a presidential portrait over there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Remember, you're listening to the Co-Main Event podcast proper. Uh, Don't forget to go out and follow us on Instagram, at CME if you nasty. And like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash co-main event. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. And if you think we're having fun right now, you absolutely need to check out what's going on over at patreon.com slash co-main event. Ben Folks and I are over there party rocking with three additional podcasts every single week we've got the wednesday live chat thursday doing the damn thing and friday power hour we got three handy tiers of patronage over there we got a we got a plan for every budget check us out over there patreon.com slash co-main event we almost guarantee that you will enjoy it We got music this week from our guys, foreign cash. Remember that's C A C H E in the word cash An LA based production duo. If you like what you hear from them on the show, you can check out more of their stuff over at foreign cash.bandcamp.com or soundcloud.com slash foreign cash. Uh, remember, that's C-A-C-H-E in foreign cash. Three rounds. Who could forget? Who could forget that? Of course we remember that, Chad. As usual this week in the co Event Pause podcast, in round number one, Islam Mahachev has narrowed the conversation. After blowing through Bobby Green the same way he blew through Dan Hooker, is there even anything to talk about besides the winner of Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje? And in round number two, speaking of blowing through people, Gegard Mousasi reminded us he's pretty good, too over the weekend good enough to be considered the world's number one middleweight number two maybe we'll puzzle it out and in round number three it's fight week for ufc 272 and jorge masvidal versus colby covington so you know earmuffs all that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying (laughs) stuff but first like we always do about this time let's do a little bit of listener mail listener mail this week's listener mail is once again brought to you by nord vpn nord vpn is the fastest vpn in the world ben you've had a few weeks now to be messing around with the nord vpn getting acquainted with it what's up what are you doing over there you resting easy with your browsing
0: Man, you know i am i got i got nord vpn on my laptop got it got the app on my phone as well i connect to a new wi-fi somewhere nord vpn automatically gets into into action helps take care of me there Uh, that's the auto connect feature that I've been talking about also uh, you know you got the dark web monitor let you know if any of your informations out there floating around so you don't get as I have gotten that call from your bank asking if you spent some money at a Walgreens in North Carolina no I did not thank you Uh, you got the file protection with secure cloud storage I mean I don't have to tell you, Chad, which VPN company was referred to as CNET as an encryption powerhouse with the biggest VPN bang for your buck.
1: No, you don't. And if you're traveling, you're using unsecured networks, either in the airport or public Wi-Fi, man, you can jump on NordVPN, get it on your phone, your laptop, your iPad, and it will protect you from hackers and gives you peace of mind while you're out on the road. Go ahead and grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash co-main. Or use the code COMAIN to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus one additional month for free and a bonus gift. It's completely risk free with NordVPN's 30 day money back guarantee. Again, that's nordvpn.com/slash COMAIN, or use the code COMAIN, all one word: COMAIN. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Isaac Spooner who writes if a time traveler came to me and said that a women's flyweight fight would earn the fight of the night honors on Saturday, I'd have been very skeptical, not to mention disappointed that they didn't bring more important news.
0: Persu- yeah. So there's a lot going on that a time traveler could help us out with. that would be, a strange use of that technology.
1: Priscilla Cashwera is in an odd place in her career. Last time out, she damn near clawed her opponent's eye out in a futile attempt to escape a submission. This time, she earns a, let's say, close decision, but displayed so much part, heart in the final round and was so excited about the result that Michael Bisping called an audible and let the translator off the hook by the end of the interview. All three judges had gave Cashwera the first and third rounds a questionable decision that the commentators immediately questioned. In my, in, I guess in my opinion, I'm just saying, what are we doing here? Stay frosty. Uh, Priscilla Cachoeira, she did earn this unanimous decision win uh, over Ji-Yoon Kim on Saturday. Not only busted my parlay, uh, but got a controversial decision win here. This was a wild fight. I will give it that. Uh, she basically won this thing in the last minute of the third round by throwing nothing but elbows. Do you see this? Do you see her just Yeah, and
0: then and then got her purple belt. Yeah. Was awarded her purple belt I assume in the art of swinging and banging. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Hawaiian art of bone breaking, I think is what she got the purple belt in there after the fight after throwing all those Cause, elbows.
0: Cuz there wasn't a ton of grappling that went on in this fight and yet it was it it did make for a weird moment where A, she wins the decision, which is not necessarily what I was expecting. Uh B, they come right in with a purple belt as she is like just in tearfully celebrating. See, Michael Bisping is standing there like, "Hello, please, please respond or at least acknowledge that I'm standing here trying to ask you questions with a microphone." Uh, so yeah, like that—that that made for a, a bit of a strange scene. This struck me as the sort of the old school Diego Sanchez approach to winning a decision in a, in a somewhat close fight, which is if the judges just see you just going all out. And throwing hard. And they see there's a lot of blood. Even if most of it is yours. They just see you doing stuff. Whether all that stuff is actually meaningful or not. That's enough. Sometimes that is enough.
1: Yeah. Uh, It's possible that I'm too emotionally close to this situation to judge it accurately. Uh, But this is one of those decisions that I feel is very MMA. That kind of drives me crazy about the way that we score fights. And even about the, how the rules are written because, you know, I think you could probably get some people to come on here and, and defend this decision and say, giving Priscilla cashware of this nod was the right thing to do uh, according to how the rules are written in MMA. But it kind of drives me crazy to see someone like Ji on Kim essentially beat the shit out of this person for like 14 minutes, maybe like they, they had a very slow first round. I thought, Kim won that one. You could have given yeah. it to Cashuera. She really came on in the second and was just kind of picking her apart with far more technical, uh, far more effective strikes and then in the third, she was kind of cruising to a victory here and then essentially the last half of the round, especially in the final minute, Cashuera just goes full-on zombie girl mode, which is uh her nickname, so I guess that's fitting, and is basically just walking her down, throwing elbows does gash ji Kim open a couple times. But like, I don't know, man, I I just don't see how that and maybe a takedown that you got in the last 15 seconds of the first round outweighs all of the other work that ji Kim did. And it's just like kind of a reminder to me that we are dealing in a lot of these fights with cosmetic issues in a way. Like Kim basically dominated this thing for the for the majority of the fight. But because Cashwara, like you said, is out there reaching into her back pocket for hillbilly haymakers and throwing these wild overhand punches that maybe kind of connect sometimes that was enough. And I like, I don't get it, man. I don't get that, that. That's what is important to us in this sport.
0: I mean, it just goes to show. I think that judges can be swayed by stuff like big, obvious gestures that seem meaningful, whether they actually are or not, and by stuff that happens at the end of a round. Because it's crazy that we can have five-minute rounds, a lot of time to work with, and somehow the stuff you do in the last 30 seconds, 60 seconds of a round seems so much more meaningful to them than all the other stuff that happens the first three minutes of that same round. Yeah, And I think maybe that explains a lot of what we we saw here.
1: Next question this week comes to us from Ryan St. John over on Patreon. He writes, The Islam win got me wondering. Is taking someone down and holding them there the ultimate cheat code to being dominant in MMA? The guys who are world-class at it, like Islam and Habib, just seem invincible at times. Getting out from underneath them feels impossible once you're there. Once you stand and brawl, you're always at risk of getting caught, but on the ground in dominant position, the risk of getting beat in that area feels low if you've got good submission defense." Uh, If you were designing the perfect MMA fighter who had the best chance of winning, what skills would you prioritize? Sort of like create a fighter player in a video game. You've got total skills budget of a hundred to divvy out. Uh, We have talked about this before on the podcast and, uh, you know, for, for many, many years, and, and it may well still be true. Having a solid offensive wrestling background of some kind was considered the best base to build on for mixed martial arts. At this stage in 2022, I would take it maybe a step further and say that I think of all of the important skills to have and factors and traits that you can have to make you a successful fighter at the highest level in MMA, I think one of them, maybe not necessarily the most important, but one of the important attributes to have is the ability to choose where the fight takes place to dictate that on your opponent. Yeah. And that is clearly something that Islam Mahachev has and something Habib Nurmagomedov had before him. Uh, And in some ways, we've seen a lot of other fighters have as well. I think you could almost say the same thing though for someone who is really, really hard to take down. Like say uh, Israel Adesanya, for example, his striking game is very, very technical. And you know he is able to camouflage a lot of what he does with his stance and stuff like that. But almost his best trait is being able to keep the fight Where he needs it to be which is on the feet where he can impose his game plan on you and chances are he's going to be better than you in that place so i wouldn't even necessarily say it's like a cheat code to be a really dominant wrestler i think it's it's important to have the skills that allow you to dictate where the fight takes place and that place obviously should be the place where your ability is going to be better than the other person's
0: right but ryan st john here does make a good point in that if you are doing that in service of forcing them to strike with you, even if you are the better striker, there is still always a chance that they just catch you slipping, connect one good one to the chin and it's lights out. How many times we've seen the better striker get knocked out by a, by a poorer striker. Just, it, it can happen. And the odds do seem much lower when you are forcing someone into your domain as a grappler. The problem is, uh, For one thing, all the the rounds start on the feet. You got to get a few different things to go right for you in order to get it where you're going. Like the the stand-up fighter just has to keep some bad things from happening. The, the grappler and the ground fighter has to make a series of things happen. And for for Islam here, the thing is that he's not just holding him down. Right. He's, he's taking him down. He's advancing position. He's getting a dominant position. He's maintaining it. And then he's using that dominant position to strike from. And so it, it does force the guy into a situation where he's either got to take a big risk to try to get out of a bad spot, which is going to open him up to submissions. And there it's helpful to have a really good submissions game, too, to pair with it, which uh, Islam Mahachev does. Uh, or he's got to just sort of minimize the damage while he's down there and hope either for a stand-up or that uh, he can last through the round and start again on the feet in the next round. And that's, you know, those aren't two great things to pin your hopes on in fights. So I I do agree that if you were going to make somebody where they had a thing, That does argue, like, the dominance of Habib and everything, it argues for making that be your thing. The problem is that then you're essentially arguing, like, well, let me choose basically a superpower because you have to always be better at it. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Like, as soon as you run into somebody where you can't take them down or if you take them down, you can't keep them down or their ground game is good enough that even if you can take them down, you can't really advance from there then you're you're stymied and so it's like you're you're basically saying like sure this this really works well when you're awesome at it most things really work well when you're awesome at it though you know like that's that's the part we're not talking about because there are plenty of people who takedowns are their thing takedowns and ground control and ground and pound and maybe a little bit of submissions thrown in there are their things but then they run into somebody who they can't do that too because that somebody is just good enough at their own defenses or at their own stuff that it doesn't work. And they, that's – it's also one of the strategies that if there is a difference in size and strength does not correlate – does not carry over as well as maybe like technical striking ability does.
1: Next question this week comes to us from Duchess of Crandall who writes, good day, good day mates. Cue the Australian comment. Okay. Anywho. So Las Vegas PD released body cam footage of John Jones' arrest from 2021. As someone who has been fortunate to receive mental health and addiction training for my profession, I find the footage actually quite sad. I don't feel sorry for Jones, a man who squandered physical and fight IQ gifts. Possibly Dundasso gifts as well. I feel like the footage is a direct insight into how deeply troubled he actually is. Alcohol abuse is not funny. Compound that with repeated head trauma, and you have a recipe for future violent outbursts and possible self harm. My question Does Jonathan Dwight Jones fight in 2022? Also, can we remind each other to try and be a bit more kind out there? I see a lot of anger up in the interwebs, including those mocking Jones in the video. The guy is no saint, but clearly suffers from something. Anyway, peace, love, and happiness, guys. Are we still saying discourse? Now, in some ways, Ben, this just once again underscores how quickly the MMA news cycle moves because it kind of feels at this point like the John Jones body cam footage from the Las Vegas PD came out. Six weeks ago, when in fact it was last Wednesday. So we haven't even talked about it here on the proper, although we did discuss it on Wednesday's live chat and then again on the power hour on Friday. But we've had this John Jones body cam footage come out. We've had a tweet from John Jones come out about how his former fiance has left him and has made it clear that she's not going to come back. We've had more tweets from John Jones come out. Uh, in some ways, making light of this body cam footage come out, I think he said I had hoped it got lost in the files somewhere, and then a couple other tweets that kind of make it seem like uh John Jones is is down and depressed, but maybe doing okay, maybe taking it one day at a time and in many ways, I have to uh agree with the Duchess of Crandall here, as we talked about last Wednesday during our live chat. This body cam footage of john jones is is harrowing in many ways and hard to watch. And you get this view of him uh, kind of vacillating between self-pity and indignation and at times what appears to be perhaps going right up to the line of escalating things to a physical confrontation and then ultimately like headbutting a police car, getting put in the backseat of the police car, etc, etc. And I kind of agree. I feel like it's a little bit... uh, you know, uh, it's a, it's a little bit depressing and it's a little bit harrowing. I guess I already said to see a guy like John Jones in this kind of footage behaving in this way. And like I said, on, on Wednesday, you can definitely see how, if this is how this guy gets when he is under the influence of alcohol, like clearly, yeah, it seems like he has a problem and it does seem like he is suffering from some kind of, uh, mental anguish. But at the same time, if you are not a group of armed Las Vegas police department officers who have this guy in handcuffs. You can also imagine how witnessing John Jones in this state would be really terrifying if you were an if you were an ordinary person.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't disagree with what the Duchess of Crandall is saying here, that there is definitely some some this isn't just. Like a one-time thing for him, this is a that a thing that is continuing to go on with him. And seeing, actually seeing it with our own eyes in this footage is harrowing and difficult to watch. And I also agree that we are way too quick, just generally, to just resort to let's be dicks on the internet about it. At the same time, and while I don't think that this means that we can't have some empathy for what John Jones is is going through, how, at what point? Like how how much of a leash do you give John Jones on this before you think, man, you have had many opportunities to see that there's a problem here, to address it. You had a lot of resources and help at your disposal. You had people enabling you while they are ostensibly there trying to offer you the help and the chances to to deal with this stuff, and it's just been a repeated thing. Yeah. So. At a certain point, you have to be like, it's not like, you know, there's there's plenty of people who are dealing with substance abuse issues that are related to mental health issues and, and addiction issues and things who do not get anywhere near this many second chances, third chances, fourth chances, not to mention all the attempts at, at like high level expensive help and resources to help them deal with it. And it continues to be a thing for him. And, you know, we heard him say with well, this time, like, hey, you know, I, I, I can't drink. I, I've got, as he put it, I have way too much trauma to, to drink at all or to, to deal with alcohol at all. And, you know, it, hopefully that is a sincere thing that he is confronting. But also it just seems like, like I, I agree that when you're not doing him any favors, you're not helping him at all by just people just mocking him on Twitter. But he continues to put himself in these situations and and he's the only one that can make the choices to to stop doing that. Yeah. Like that it's got to be up to him. Yeah. And uh, he's had so many opportunities to come to that realization.
1: Yeah, that, and as I said last week, I feel like the people we really need to be concerned about in this situation are his fiance, former fiance, and his children. And uh, you know, those are the people who probably deserve the most of our of our attention and and help, etc. Uh, and you're right that John Jones has gotten a lot of chances, more chances even than most professional MMA fighters get. Uh, and he has yet to make any changes. And, you know, either we've even heard him say he's going to be done with alcohol before. So if that's what he's saying this time around, that's again, is again, not a new thing for him to say as to this specific question of whether or not John Jones is going to fight in 2022. Uh, I don't even know if that's what we should be concerned about at this point. We know that if he wants to, the UFC will probably give him that opportunity so long as they can come together on a contract agreement. So long as the money is right for everybody, that's going to be the, the Trump card here. Unfortunately, John Jones seems like he is intent on still fighting, wants to be the heavyweight champion this year. He has tweeted at some point. It's uh, It's hard for me to focus on that as being the thing we need to worry about with John Jones right now, with all the other stuff that's been going on with him. But, you know, like we always say in, in this sport, like if there is the will and there people are going to make money on it, you can bet that it's going to happen because those are the things that, uh, that dictate everything else in this sport.
0: Yeah. And just from playing the odds, I would say all this stuff around him, if anything makes it more likely That he will want to come back and fight sooner rather than later just because I think that he's going to be in a position where he wants to get back to some positive John Jones headlines. And I think the UFC will be glad to capitalize
1: on that. Yeah. I agree. Uh, that is going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have questions, comments, or concerns that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comanevent.com, and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says Email the podcast. That will get you in touch with us. As for right now, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, it took all of one takedown, some ground position, and then some heavy strikes from Islam Mahachev to stop Bobby Green in three minutes and 23 seconds into the first round in their 160-pound catchweight fight in the main event of this UFC Fight Night event last Saturday at the Apex down there in Las Vegas. We had discussed a little bit that we, we had hoped Bobby Green could make things interesting, we, we discussed that we didn't feel like Bobby Green even really needed to win in this fight to come out. Having scored some positives, he just didn't need to get taken apart in quite the same expeditious manner that Dan Hooker did in Islam Mahachev's last fight. But that's exactly what happened, man. Mahachev came out here, took him down, pounded him out, academic for Mahachev in many ways. And uh, I don't know, man. At this point, Islam Mahachev just looks very, very good and, you know, seems to incorporate or have many of the same offensive wrestling skills that his teammate Habib Nurmagomedov had, that Nurmagomedov used to dominate this division for a long period of time. And dare I say, he might be out here stopping people in a slightly more breathtaking fashion than some of the stuff we saw from Habib. And it would be premature, I think at this point, to anoint Islam Mahachev a better version of Habib. But he seems to have all those skills, and at least against these short-notice opponents, uh, the skills to take them out quickly. And I, for one, don't know that I even need to see anything else from this guy to say, give him a title shot, give him the winner of Gaethje and Oliveira if that happens at UFC 274, as we think it will.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's got to be so frustrating to fight him especially because watching Bobby Green go at it. And again, this is Bobby Green coming in as a really short notice replacement. As he said afterwards, like 10 days, whatever is not a whole lot of time.
1: Yeah, threw it really together, he said. Threw, threw it, it together, together at the last
0: minute, like a damn science project, you know, that you didn't want to work on in the first place. You know, you, like you, you tell your mom the night before that you need the poster board. And she's like, God damn it, get in the car. I'm going to CVS. And he, for, you know... About 90 seconds seemed like he was doing about as well as he could. I, the, the commentators made a good point about how it's difficult to be doing Bobby Green's style where he wants to kind of draw you out and use the, like his fast hands for, held down low to counter you when you open up, but he also has to be worried that he can't, Start relaxing and, and throwing into combinations when he's always worried about a takedown. It keeps your your offensive weapons kind of in check there. But he also, at least initially, when pressed up against the fence there and dealing with the first sort of clinch, uh, he's not doing a bad job. You know, he's he's fighting off the the hooks well. He's he's conscious of the foot sweep threat. He does a pretty good initial job of dealing with Islam Mahachev up against the fence in the first sort of clinch-to-take-down attempt. And it's kind of like as soon as he feels like he's gotten a little room to breathe, then here comes the reshot. Yeah. And he's right back in again, and this time he's in deeper, and now you're down, and it's like, shit. And as soon—like, the thing that I think he really does have in common with Habib's style is that he gets you into this nonstop grappling spin cycle. Where you're just constantly dealing with, it feels probably like several things all at once. And you can't deal with them all. And you just start falling a little bit behind in the grappling exchanges. And then the next thing you know, the guy's in mount. And what the fuck are you supposed to do then? You're trying to keep it tight. Trying not to get submitted. You're trying to think about an escape. Meanwhile, he's just punching you in the face. And wherever you roll, wherever you try to look and find a little shelter he is punching you in the face. And these aren't devastating blows or anything. I can understand Bobby Green afterwards saying that he, he wished he would have been allowed to go on a little bit longer. It does seem almost a little bit like, hey, we know how referees work in MMA. We're going to exploit that by getting you in a position where you don't appear to be fighting back. You don't appear to be offering a particularly intelligent defense. And they're just going to keep peppering you with shots until the referee goes, well, I can't just let this go on indefinitely. Like, I, you know, the guy's got to do something or I got to stop it. And yet at the same time, it's not doing devastating damage, but it's just constant enough. And it just starts to look one-sided enough that they're going to stop it. Yeah, And I, I could see him getting up after that and being like, "I, what the hell else were you supposed to do there? What were you supposed to do other than not ever get taken down against this guy? And the they, the takedown threat there is so constant. It's not like we've seen other grapplers before, where maybe because they're worried about getting tired, or because they're worried about uh, they they don't want to get their takedown stuffed because they feel their confidence go down. They're a little bit more judicious. But these guys, their approach is just like make the other guy constantly dealing with takedowns, and I can throw as many at him as I need to, and and eventually I'll just overwhelm him, and that's what happens.
1: Yeah, Uh, he is just barely 30 years old. He has won now, I believe, 11 fights in a row in the UFC. He's got four consecutive stoppages in his most recent appearances. I guess it will be interesting to see if that finishing ability translates to the upper echelon of the division as he begins to fight these elite contenders and or champions in this division. Uh, but I agree with everything you said. I don't know how you game plan for this, really, except don't make any mistakes is kind yeah. of the uh, is maybe the that's game what you'd be saying
0: in the corner. You're like, yeah. hey, first of all, we got to believe that's mm-hmm. the thing we, we got to believe and everything. But also, like, let's not make even one mistake.
1: Yeah. If you can just go ahead and be perfect over 25 minutes, I think we're going to be all right here. Don't make any mistakes or basically the fight is over. Are you convinced at this point? this point, as I said in the beginning, that this this guy's the number one contender? Or do you need to see something else? Are you interested in like trying to get this Benil Dariush fight back together, depending on how long the broken leg is going to take Dariush to heal from? Or is Islam Mahachev now waiting in the wings for the winner of this Gaethje-Olivera fight, assuming that that goes down as scheduled? Also considering that here we are in the 155-pound division, where things can get crazy in a hurry at the top of the division and you got the plucky irishman mm-hmm. out here over the weekend maybe having a couple soda pops over at bellator i don't know telling people he's coming back in july and his advice to champion charles Oliveira is to wait for him it's to wait for him <laughs> so yeah islam Makhachev, he could get uh He could get left out in the cold here, knowing how things go in this division. But are you convinced, would you consider Islam Mahachev to be the number one contender?
0: I'm convinced enough that he has earned himself a title shot. However, as you alluded to there, we both know that that's not the simplistic way it works. That if Conor McGregor is back and healthy and ready to compete, at a timeline that works out for everybody, that advice to Charles Oliveira—let's say if he if he beat Justin Gaethje and and uh, remains champion—that uh, advice to to wait around for for Conor McGregor would be sound financial advice.
1: It would be sound would all agree. around advice. Would you rather fight Conor <laughs> McGregor for a lot more money, or would you rather fight Islamajev?
0: Well, and you see already the, I think this is recency bias, but the odds, they come out for a hypothetical fight between our guy Chucky Olives and Islam Mahachev, and it's got Oliveira as like a three-to-one underdog, Yeah, which, hey, if you want to offer those odds, I'll I'll take that. I will take him at three-to-one underdog odds. I understand what they're thinking, that especially stylistically, the exact approach that Mahachev has seems like it might be a problem for Charles Oliveira, but... We, we continuously sleep on Chucky Olives, and he stays beaten, motherfuckers. He stays the champion. So he he's, I don't know how many times we're going to have to learn that lesson before we stop doing that to the guy. But still, if I were his financial advisor, and I was like, if there is even a chance for us to get a Conor McGregor fight in which you as the champion get points on the pay-per-view, do not take any other fight but that fight. Get that one in first, and then we can do whatever the hell you want. Yeah, fight, fight whoever you want. After that, let but let's get that payday in your pocket first. So it's difficult to predict how the division will go when you have the specter of a basically a thunder cloud that rains money just sort of looming out there on the horizon, and you're trying to see if the wind will shift and bring it this way in time. You know.
1: Yeah. I mean, if I'm Islam Mahachev. I'm gonna, I am I want to start cutting promos where I'm just standing in the background and Habib is wearing a suit and tie standing in front of me talking about how he's got this new monster and mm-hmm. he can't wait to feed Conor McGregor to him. Being like, McGregor, did you think your nightmare was over when I retired? It's not because my friend is here now and he's going to, you know, chew you up and spit you out the same way I did.
0: I assume that in this version, Islam Mahachev would be shirtless and... Bouncing from one foot to the to the next like earthquake yep. in uh, the the old WWF Wrestle Earthquake, occasionally slapping his chest for emphasis as uh, Habib talks about him. Well, right. And Habib would just be would never look at him and just be like gesturing over his shoulder with a thumb, and be like, "This man."
1: Yep, this, like, you
0: don't want to see this man.
1: It's like the Heenan family, but it's the Habib family, mm-hmm. and it's just a bunch of guys who just want to beat the shit out of Conor McGregor. That's all it is. <laughs> they
0: don't do anything else. It's nope. just. Wherever Conor McGregor goes, a member of the Habib family
1: is there. Yeah, that's that's what I want to see. All right, let's go ahead and do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, I believe we have the rare Are You Fucking Kidding Me that we both agree on this week. It's a joint Are You Fucking Kidding Me on this week's co-main event podcast. And frankly, hard to ignore the news out to just today about Smiling Sam Alvey. And in addition to that hard to ignore the manner in which it was conveyed to us by Sam Alvey himself, which, I mean, I guess you got to give the guy some credit for understanding when he's, when he can play up the drama, you know, he's got a, he's got a a feeling for dramatic pacing here with this 13 minute video that he recorded about whether or not the UFC was going to cut him or not, where uh, takes his sweet time getting Mm -hmm. around to, uh, to giving us the ultimate answer there.
0: Yeah, first of all, I mean, I have to do an Are You Fucking Kidding Me about our MMA fighters do they not know anywhere else to record a video than in the front seat of the car?
1: I mean the lighting you know, out there is great. That's where you gotta do it. It gives a real studio always, vibe. It's the
0: front seat of the car. We're gonna record a video, gonna do a video interview, gonna gonna shoot a cameo for somebody. It's just like I don't know what it is about that environment that they feel is so conducive to talking to the world. Uh, But it's always the front seat of the car. Also, we're not exactly doing a ton of SEO work when we're titling these YouTube videos because this one is titled, The UFC Calls About If They Are Cutting Me or Not.
1: (laughs) See? I feel like that's, he knows, he knows he's got a mystery on his hands. He's going to milk it for all he's worth.
0: It's 13 and a half minutes long, and it's not until like a minute eight or nine that you finally find out the answer is no. They are not cutting him. And so, I mean, and that's after he has told us a story about being on the Ultimate Fighter, about not getting picked up after the Ultimate Fighter, but Dana White taking all the Ultimate Fighter guys out to a surf and turf dinner, and they got to order whatever they want. Whatever uh, they want. Yeah. Then he takes them to Spearmint Rhino, which he describes as a high-end strip club, and then gives them all $600 to go and says, have fun. <laughs> like, Dana White just, like... You know he's like an absentee father, but when he does show up, he's taking everybody to Disneyland. Then you know, gets yourself a, a tummy ache with all the ice cream treats you can buy. But then, Malfi also reveals that he gives him basically, he gives them to him in markers or whatever, like like spearmint rhino bucks essentially, not cash money. And they would rather have the money because they're poor fighters who are not getting paid very well. And they would rather have the money than the lap dances, essentially. And so they try to go to the strippers and be like, hey, can you cash this in and we'll give you a tip? But the strippers are smart and they see what's going on. And they're like, half. It's going to cost you half <laughs> right away. And so it's like, oh, man, UFC fighters, they, It's everybody sees you coming. The, the ownership sees you coming. The strippers of the Spearmint rhino see you coming. Everybody's out negotiating you. Um, but finally, he gets around to them telling him, hey... We really appreciate everything, yeah, and we are gonna let you fight out your contract. We're gonna let you have the final fight on your contract and and this is presented here by Sam Alevi as if it is a very benevolent gesture when really in in fact, it is the u f c saying the number of fights on the contract that you signed is the number of fights you will get what what a bunch of good dudes, huh,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, he is o seven and one I believe, right? Isn't that where he's at currently?
0: I, it's, I mean, there's that draw in there so that it is like an eight-fight winless streak, but yeah.
1: yeah. Is he the secret love child of an executive at the UFC? Like, I, you know, we see people get... We saw this woman recently get cut before she even fought the UFC. Apparently because she had an altercation with the USADA, she had to put her dogs... Somewhere in a room, or out in the back, so that they wouldn't attack the Usada person, and then she ends up getting cut over it because they didn't end up testing her. Uh, And now you got you got Sam Alvey out here, seven losses in a row, and uh, that's more than most people have in their entire careers, man. But they're just like, nope, gonna keep him around. One more fight, just let him fight out his contract.
0: You know what? And one of the other things that he keeps mentioning is that they seem to have sympathy for him because they're like, "Oh, you know, you didn't get a full training camp for almost any of these people that, you know, you end up either not fighting the guy you're supposed to or you end up stepping up on late notice." Um, but then again, doesn't seem to be quite drawn connecting the dots between like, "Why do I always end up in these bad situations and yet also I'm really glad that they're going to let me have all the fights that were on the contract I signed, which I I could not have decided to get out of the contract early." only they can and I'm so so grateful that they're not fucking kidding me I think we're not we... even gonna like take a step back and think about what we have just like the the employment situation we have just described to ourselves in this 13 and a half minute video From
1: we together say a hearty fucking kidding me that's gonna do it for round number one we'll be right back with round number two
0: Well, Chad, sweet and sassy, the young vagabond himself, the dream catcher, the moose, Gagard Musasi. He went out there at Bellator's Friday over here afternoon event against Austin Vanderford. Needed a little less than 90 seconds to put this one away, put a stamp on it with a, a ground and pound finish. And then afterwards, it feels like. You know We've talked before about Gegard Busasi being a uh, very very honest guy. At times it comes off as self-deprecating or or like he's disappointed with where he's ended up. But always it seems like he is trying to give you what he regards as an honest assessment of where he is. And now, it seems at this point in his career, he's finally feeling like, you know what? If you look around at all the middleweights in the world of MMA, I feel like I'm up there. I feel like I'm up there. Now... I think we've been saying for a while uh, that Gegard Mousasi was one of the best middleweights in the world, even if it wasn't always getting credit for it. And then he shows up here, and Bellator wins his fight against, you know, Austin Vanderford, who is like 11-0. You know, the O part is nice, but the 11 part suggests that we're not exactly dealing with the absolute cream of the crop in the, in the division there. What do you make of this kind of win? Is, is Gegard con- convincing you of anything that he had not convinced you of prior, and... If not, what what can he do to to make that point to you while he's in Bellator, other than telling the people at Sharedog who are ranking him too low to come suck some lollipops?
1: <laughs> uh, it convinced me that Bedhead Musasi is the most dangerous version of Musasi. He's oh, going yeah. be, to be going out there with his terrible bedhead and just putting fools on notice. Uh, the, you know, the issue with Gagard Musasi is which version of him would show up to some of these fights. Sometimes uh, he looks a little listless out there. Sometimes he looks a little uh like his his low key personality bleeds over into the actual fight and at times like that you know he's he's uh he can let a decision slip away but when he shows up with this version of himself and is out here dusting fools in a minute and 25 seconds like it's it's hard not to agree with him that he is illegal at least somewhere on the short list of best middleweights in the world this was this was not a long fight but it was sort of a classic Cool, calm, and collected performance from Musasi. He got hit once, I think, by Austin Vandeford, who was aggressive and bringing the heat. And then Musasi just kind of stepped back, and very methodically but effectively picked him apart. Forced Vanderford into a like desperation wrestling shot, stuffed it easily, and then just rains down punches until the referee has to step in and and grab the mic now. Vanderford, I think, was in the still very much in the position where he came into this fight and we were all trying to figure out how good he really was, just sort of as an undefeated middleweight prospect in Bellator who had looked great but maybe hadn't fought the best in the world, certainly hadn't fought the kind of guys that Gegard Mousasi has fought. But I got to say, man, 36-year-old Gegard Mousasi has looked incredibly effective in most of his bellator fights up to this point you know some you could argue weren't the funnest things to watch but uh i yeah i think he's one of the best middleweights in the world i would he beat israel adesanya i don't know probably not but like that would be a fun fight to watch would he beat somebody like robert whitaker mm, kind of a push for me on that one i like i think well, I, fairness, I don't though, i don't hate his chances
0: What's he been saying to you? He's not saying, like, I would absolutely crush those guys and none of them can hold a candle to me. He's saying, I could hang with those guys. And you know what? I believe that. Yeah. I believe Gegard Mousasi could hang with those guys. Maybe he loses decisions to both those guys. Uh, But still, I think he's in there. And like when he was making that comment about the the rankings and everything where he's like, "Mm, you know, I'm at least number three. And it's like, you know what? Hey. That's fair. Like You honestly, you make a bigger impression on me if you come out there and you're laying out your logical, reasonable case for why you belong higher up in the rankings. As opposed to every single person saying, I'm the best in the world right now. Because you can't all be the best in the world right now. But if you're like, hey, I believe I am among the top three middleweights in the world at this present moment. then I go, you know what? That that sounds like a reasonable enough claim that I will evaluate it on its merits and consider it. And I kind of think that he makes a good case here. I think a lot of people he he suffers a little bit from that Bellator bias where people think like, oh, okay, fine, you're champion in Bellator, you hold it down in Bellator, but so what? And they forget this guy is that's a guy who left the UFC on a winning streak. Yeah. You know, and on a winning streak against guys who were top middleweights at the time in the in the UFC. Like he beat. Vitor Belfort, Uriah Hall, Chris Weidman uh, on his way out of the UFC and did it like in 2016 and 17 when all those wins were meaningful and then still shows up here and at 36 still looks like a, a really good fighter. I mean, you write that there are times where it seems like you can't tell if the fire is all the way in the belly, but then if you're 36 and you had damn near 60 pro fights, I, I guess I could understand how that might be the case every once in a while, um, but it's he's another guy where when you step back and you realize how many eras this dude has been around through and how he is still this good at this point, that's really impressive because that yeah. is super hard to do.
1: Yeah. Uh, it was pretty much a classic, a Gegard Mousasi quote when he was on the mic with uh, Big John McCarthy, and he said, I'm the best middleweight. I never said it because I never believed it, but from now on, you better believe it. Uh, he also got on the mic and sent what appeared to be a personal message to someone telling them not to be a party pooper. Don't know if you okay. caught that part of the interview, but that was another very Gegard Mousasi move. But uh, yeah, man, if anything, you know, I Gegard uh understated clinical evaluation of his own and others' prospects really speaks to me. I'm going to be honest. I like the shit out of it. Uh, And if anything, you know, like you said, maybe that lack of of, uh, bravado, the lack of kind of spark to some of his interviews is one of the things that has worked against him over time. Uh, but I think at this point, you got to acknowledge him as one of the better 185 pound fighters in the world. And as you said, as we got started with this thing, maybe the real question is, does Bellator have anybody for him to fight that would help him continue to make that case? Because, uh, you know, rightly or wrongly, Austin Vanderford is largely known as the person who was married to Paige VanZant and was 11 and 0 in Bellator. And I thought. Maybe if a different version of Musasi had showed up to this fight, he could have made it interesting over a, a longer period of time, but ends up just getting blown out of the water. And it was an impressive performance from Musasi. but you're going to have to fight people besides the Austin Vanderfords of the world if you want to be considered up there with Israel Adesanya and Robert Whitaker and, and all these other guys.
0: Yeah, but he's also got like, I think he said when he was on the, the Fortnite today, what, like five fights left? on his Bellator contract, he's not going anywhere anytime soon is the point. So he is going to be in Bellator with them trying to find fresh people to bring to Gegard Musasi. So if you haven't been convinced up until this point, I don't know exactly what in the immediate future, they're going to be able to offer to convince you. So I I mean, I guess if we have to settle for Gegard Musasi just stomping on people and remaining at the top in Bellator and, with these partly self-deprecating but also partly hilarious quips in the aftermath of these fights, that's not the worst thing that could happen to you. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's not that's not a bad place to end up in your mid thirties as a guy who's been in this seemingly forever, as Gegard Musasi has.
1: Yeah, I'm just I'm checking the vaunted uh, Bellator fighter rankings as we speak, just to see what's really going on here at the 185 pound division. Looks like this. These were compiled before this event over the weekend. Austin Vanderford was still the number one contender. John Salter, who Gegard Musasi has already defeated, uh, is number two. Number three is Johnny Eblin, who is ten and zero. Number four is Fabian Edwards, who is nine and two. And number five is Anatoly Tokev, who is thirty and two. So um, you know, there's some dudes there. I don't know that you're going to get name recognition out of any of those guys, but uh, you know, at least there are warm bodies that you could throw in there against Gegard Musasi for his contracted five more fights or whatever.
0: Yeah. And I mean, again, just, you got to put it in perspective. I think a little bit that like, this is a dude who fought in pride Bushido events. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. like, and, and honestly, at the time when he was fighting in pride Bushido events, had more pro fights than Austin Vanderford. And that's like 2006. Think about where you were in 2006, Jed Dundas. It's fucking 2022. And the man is here as Bellator champion. Talking about being one of... At least, at least give me top three. You know yeah. what? I think he's earned it. I think his yeah. body of work has earned it.
1: I agree. Sweet I can't, sassy. I can't disagree. Young vagabond. 2006. I think I was married to Paige Vance Ant at that time.
0: She would have been a child. I'm pretty sure. So, uh... How you feel about yourself now? Well, you made a joke.
1: You made it real gross. You turned things real gross as you are wont to do. I mean,
0: yeah, I think 2006, uh, Chad Dundas is probably working at, work at the sports desk at the Missoulian.
1: Yeah. That sounds thinking, more realistic.
0: Thinking about whether he is capable of staying up all night to catch this uh, Gegard Musasi Akira gono fight in Pride Bushido 12.
1: Yeah, probably uh, wondering if I could stay up all night and then still drive across the state of the Montana to Baker to cover the state Class B high school football championship, or something. And you know what? In two thousand six, you might have been capable of doing it. Probably not now, though. No, No, not now. No, no. would have to uh, catch up on that Lusasi fight via replay. (laughs) All right, that's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Well, Ben, I have a funny feeling that uh, Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal don't like each other. Huh. You get that impression at all leading up to UFC 272 this weekend at uh, where we at here? T-Mobile Arena right there. Home game for the UFC down there in Las Vegas. Uh, These guys, not friends anymore, as it turns out.
0: I don't I think you might be reading too much into it.
1: You think I'm uh, taking too- You're just looking
0: for drama too pessimistic
1: yeah. of a view here stirring the pot talking about these two guys relationship. You know, I am actually kind of proud of
0: myself because I have largely managed to avoid hearing them talk, yeah, too much leading up to this fight. I mean, here we are fight week, so it's really going to ramp up. The challenge is going to get a lot more difficult, but I've been doing a pretty good job of when I see scrolling through Twitter and I see some, like, split-screen interview with, like, Stephen A. Smith and Masvidal and Covington on either sides where I just kind of... I'll catch the first few seconds enough to hear Stephen A. Smith be like, what's going on? And then I just go, nope, and I just keep scrolling past. Or I'll see somebody's video interview where Colby Covington is sitting in what appears to be a home office and he is totally shirtless uh, on a Zoom call. And I just go, nope, mm mm-mm. Mm-mm, not gonna do it. But I did end up reading this MMA junkie story by Danny Segura, where he sort of tries to dig into what's the truth and what are the accusations, what are the all sides of this claim that it's that it all boils down to Colby Covington stiffing an ATT coach for some money, and that Jorge Masvidal claims. He also claims like oh, I was already feeling maybe this was not a good person to be friends with. But then when he did that, that's the rift. And then they also talk about how once Colby Covington this, like, told everybody, hey, I'm going to really go hard against the nation of Brazil in my trash talk. And, that people, and at least this claims that people were like, mm, you shouldn't do that, man. I don't know if you've looked around the gym here, but there are a lot of Brazilians and people might not like it and he does it anyway. And it, sure enough, people didn't like it. Uh, but one of the interesting things about this claim is Nobody seems like they can agree on exactly how much money Colby Covington did make for this fight that he's supposed to pay the coach out of. Which, again, weren't we just talking about how fighter pay transparency would solve a lot of issues for a lot of people? Here's one where it would at least make it clear in what ways and to what extent Colby Covington is an asshole or not. Yeah. You know what I'm
1: saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I I have to say I frequently get tired of these things before the audience at large seems to get tired of them. But at this point, I kind of feel like both Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal having beef with with whoever it is that they are going to fight is a little bit played out for me. I don't uh, care that much what the feelings are between Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal at this point. I don't care what the feelings are between Colby Covington and almost anyone else at this point. I don't care much about who Jorge Masvidal has a rivalry with at this point to me a lot of this stuff is is past it's due date it's 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 not doing much for me I too have avoided most of the of the pre-fight uh, trash talk it is not quite yet press conference day so <laughs> we're going to get a lot more of it before Saturday night but uh this will I guess projects to be a big selling pay-per-view for the UFC uh I will be interesting to see the number if, and when it finally comes out, but I don't know, man, like, I guess what I can say on the positive side of the ledger around my feelings about this fight is that once Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal get in the cage, I generally like to watch them fight. And so this could be an interesting matchup and is an interesting matchup of styles. And it's possible that the pressure game and, and wrestling of Colby Covington will give Jorge Masvidal some problems. And, as a physical confrontation, I guess I'm interested in watching it, but all of the other stuff above and beyond who is going to sit on a couch in their manager's office and tell stories about when the other guy was an asshole. Don't care. <laughs> Gotta say, I don't care.
0: I, I mean, to the extent that I care, I guess it would be in that here. It seems like whatever is going on between them at least is stemming from a real thing. Yeah. And it's not just like Colby coming to me like, I try to, This is my thing. I try to be the bad guy and make an enemy out of whoever I'm fighting against. And so, therefore, I'm just going to do the thing. And it seems like, if anything, he is continuing to just try to do his shtick while Jorge Masvidal is like... Drawing on personal experience and wanting to be like, hey, April 5th uh, of three years ago, you said that, you know, and it's a very different kind of situation for him to be put in where somebody who really knows him and was a friend of his is accusing him of this specific thing. And he has to be like, fake news, fake news, doing his Colby Covington thing. And it honestly... it's a thing that we were just talking about not too long ago. I think we were talking about it during the live chat where somebody brought it up regarding like Mike Perry or somebody about how how often it does happen to MMA coaches. They end up in a situation like this. And especially this, this MMA junkie story by Danny Segura kind of lays out a situation in which the striking coach begins working with him very early on when he first comes to ATT, and they make an agreement for 5% of his purse. But they probably made that agreement when his purse was not very much at all. And so then later when he ends up in a situation where he's fighting for like interim titles and things and his purse is in the six figure range, Masvidal claims that Colby Covington started saying things like, well, the 5% of this is too much to, it's more than I owe him to be paying it. So I'm not going to pay it. And Colby Covington, of course, countering and being like, no, I didn't make as much as they said that I made from the fight. And it doesn't seem like anybody knows for sure exactly how much you got paid because that's just the way we're doing it now. Um. But like that is it does kind of highlight the the uncomfortable situation of a lot of these MMA coaches where he's just sort of the pawn in this trash talk now to be like, oh, well, I guess if you ask me, I'm going to tell you my understanding of the situation that maybe I felt like I got screwed. But again, if the fighter's going to screw you on these handshake deals for how much of his purse he owes you, he can kind of only do it
1: once. Yeah. Uh, Both these guys have lost twice to Kamaru Usman. Jorge Masvidal is 37 years old. The last time he won a fight was 2019 when he won the BMF championship against Nate Diaz at UFC 244, his last three wins are Nate Diaz, Ben Askren, and Darren Till. How big of a must-win situation do you think this is for Jorge Masvidal, if at all?
0: I, I think it's a pretty big must-win for him, honestly, because the... The gimmick that he is trying to run where just, you know, you're sort of the the tough guy Miami gangster out on these streets, smacking fools down for the BMF belt. It gets harder and harder to maintain if it's been so long since we saw you win one. But also it gets harder to maintain if you lose to a guy like Colby Covington, yeah. who, uh, while he comes off like kind of ridiculous in a lot of his attempts to portray a character without really even understanding the nuances of the kind of character he's trying to portray he can make that fighting style really, really work for him. The the style of constant wrestling and weaponized pace. I mean, he is the guy to give Kamaru Usman the toughest fights. And he he can really go out there and do that thing. And there's a lot of ways that he could beat you in this fight if you are Jorge Masvidal. And then afterwards, it gets tougher and tougher to keep talking the kind of shit that Jorge Masvidal talks. And, like, selling yourself as that ultimate badass kind of guy... If people just saw you get like overwhelmed uh, all night long by Colby Covington.
1: yeah. Colby Covington is 34. It was 2018 when he won the interim welterweight championship in the fight against Rafael dos Anjos. Since then he has defeated Robbie Lawler and Tyron Woodley and lost two times to Usman as I, uh, as I said, he is going off as more than a three to one favorite across the board at uh, most of these sports books here. So people like Colby Covington's chances here against Jorge Masvidal. Uh, those are long odds, I guess, for Masvidal. And I agree with you. I feel like he was, if he is going to go on trying to pretend like business as usual is him being Jorge Masvidal, like he needs to win one uh, or. You know, he needs to find some greener pastures somewhere else where maybe his uh his shtick is gonna is gonna, you know, find some new life, I guess. But uh just matchup of styles wise, this seems like a tough one for him. So It does. I will then be again, interested to see what happens
0: though. Didn't we think Ben Askren seemed like a tough matchup of styles for him?
1: That's true. That is true. Uh so maybe if he, he can <laughs> win by death defying flying knee <laughs> KO in the first that, couple seconds, that'd be a big win for be... him.
0: Much like stiffen your coaches for pay, that might also be the kind of thing you can only do once. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: That could that could well be. All right. Let's go ahead and do uh, Just Saying Stuff, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, what's your Just Saying Stuff?
0: Well, Chad, I know you saw this because uh, I'm sure you follow her on the Grams, but Paige Van's aunt is standing by her man, of course, after his uh, loss to Gegard Musasi, doing the— the the wife version of uh, Chris Weidman's dad talking about that's still my boy, but she posts this on Twitter. First of all, um, it says, whoops, I believe there's six ellipses, so basically like a double ellipses, uh, kind of engagement ring emoji, peach emoji, you know what that means, then at Austin V 170 MMA. Um it does link to her fan site, which is called Page Fanzant, which that's <laughs> unassailable. That's good. Like that's she, she's she knows what she's doing there. So you, you can't say anything about that. And there's a picture of basically her ass in a thong, and it's got the initials A V tattooed on her ass, from what at least appears to be tattooed on her ass. Now, Chad, I guess I'm just saying. Tattooing the initials of your partner on your body is kind of the worst thing you can do there because it raises questions that nobody asks if you don't have anything of their name tattooed on you because nobody is going to walk around and be like oh yeah you guys so in love why don't you have each other's names tattooed on your body nobody asks that no nobody expects you to do that when you do do it people go oh i guess you must really feel sure about this one and and hope you're right but nobody expects you to do it. But then, if you just go and you get the initials, if you just get AV, not a name, not a name, just the initials AV tattooed on your body, then it prompts people to go. What well, we weren't, we weren't totally sure. We're leaving some, we're leaving some space here, just in case, so that if shit does go wrong, you can be like, mm, big fan of the Onion AV Club. I like their their album reviews. Uh, you know. Uh, they were the one who turned me on to Neutral Milk Hotel. I've never forgotten for that. So yeah, that's that's why I tattooed on my butt. I don't know what the rest of you guys are thinking. It Seems like you know you're gonna get people thinking that maybe you're leaving yourself an out if it's just the initials. I'm just saying. Just saying. Some sometimes when you you go with a tattoo like that meant to show how committed you are, you you raise questions that people weren't asking before. I'm just saying.
1: Just saying. So just to recap to make sure I understand, uh Ben Folks is saying that the best course of action here is to not tattoo the name or initials of a partner on your body at all. Correct. But if you are gonna do it, mm-hmm. what you would have Paige Van Zant do is tattoo Austin Vandeford's entire name across her ass.
0: Um That's you know a what?
1: long name, bro. That's all I'm it saying.
0: You and see the problem is that his name because otherwise you could just go Austin, but then it's also the name of a city. So yeah,
1: moving, uh, that's where I'm moving. You could say if you, there was a divorce. Yeah.
0: Um, so th- that does limit your options here, but also I mean, hey, if if we're doing the thing, let's do the thing. You know okay. what I mean? Yeah. I just do those block still wanna...
1: letters, Austin Van De Ford. Hmm. Maybe, maybe a nice
0: sure. script, nice cursive script on there. I don't know. Um, but I do, just just so there is no confusion on this one, want to be very clear. Calling her fan site Paige Van Zandt is a stroke
1: of fucking genius. Yeah, that's the biggest revelation of the day right there.
0: I mean, that that shows you that in at least one of the jobs that Paige Van Zant is doing, she is really on top of
1: things. Well, Ben, this just week, I, I'm just saying, how is... Greg Hardy gonna fight on the main card of another high profile UFC pay per view, bro. How we gonna How we gonna still be doing this on the heels of two knockout losses in a row? Really, we're still still trying to make Greg Hardy happen. We're still putting him out there. Two of his last uh, five fights, he has won. Both wins over guys who are no longer in the UFC. Really, is what we're doing, Ben. That's what we're doing he is not interesting or exciting no. to watch 1,000 times over. Give me Jalen Turner against Jamie Malarkey on the main card here.
0: The goddamn tarantula. For give me, out loud.
1: give me Tim motherfucking Elliot, man. Like put Tim Elliot on the main card here. Give me this fight between two halfway, interesting light heavyweight contenders who are both still in their twenties. Put that one on there. You know what you can, give me Marina Rodriguez, put Marina Rodriguez, on the main card instead of Greg Hardy versus Sergey Spivak. Because by the way, Greg Hardy has still never been good at this shit. <laughs> I'm just saying, still has never been good. I'm just saying. Nope.
0: we got to give him every high profile opportunity we can.
1: Not going to put him on a fight night. Not going to put him on the prelims. Main card fight on what will likely be one of the bigger selling pay-per-views of the year. What? I don't, I don't get it, man. I don't get why we're still trying to make Greg Hardy happen.
0: Just hoping he magically becomes good. All of a sudden.
1: Anyway, that's going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. As a reminder, we will be over at the Patreon page the rest of the week. The live chat is on Wednesday. we got Doing the Damn Thing on Thursday and, of course, the Power Hour on Friday. Check us out, patreon.com slash co-main event. As for right now, we are done. We are through. We are out. What about a nice portrait of Austin Van
0: nope picture Nope. Picture's always mistake. Trying to get somebody's face. I mean, you, you've seen Alan Belcher what's going on with you, right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. We have to go
1: know the artist, a trustworthy artist who can um, craft a workable likeness with Austin Banditore. No, it's a mistake. What about P, B, Z plus A, V equals heart? Okay, you know what? Now, now you're coming up with something. Uh, I don't know if
0: the the ass is the place for that particular tattoo.